Welcome to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. We interview great guests who inspire you to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals. Be sure you visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, just relax as you listen. You can do something else, but be ready to make an important note. And let's get started. The working title of this interview is Inspiration. And our guest is author Charles Smith. We will discuss his life story, having PTSD since he was six years old, for 42 years now, long-term addiction recovery, 30 years, something him and I have in common. Overcoming being a homeless veteran, also another thing we have in common. And being a suicide survivor, yet another thing we have in common. So this guy and I, we're, we're brothers. Not just that, he's an ex-infantryman, just like I am. So it's even more. This is, this is, these are, we're brothers here. All right. So this is going to be a great combo. We will discuss it. Oh, this is such a pleasure. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's like, I I found out this, this knowledge by reading. I was like, wow, wow, wow. Every, every discovery. And then of course, once soon as we, we met uh, on, on this zoom moments ago, great rapport uh, naturally. So this is, as I just said, I, this is going to be the beginning of a great relationship. So we were meeting now for those listening and it's all going to be fresh, but uh, it's, this is going to be a long-term thing. I can see it now. The writing's on the wall. <laughs> so oh, yeah, definitely. we will discuss his book series. He's written seven self-help books. So, and then this is, this is, a, this is the man right here. So this is going to be a fantastic interview and I'm not even going to, I don't have any canned questions for him. Uh, but I got, I got a feeling we can talk for a, a long period, but we'll, we'll strive to keep it short. Uh, and um, so you'll be able to find something new in the discussion of the book series. But we're going to do something unprecedented, and a guest like this totally deserves it. Usually, uh, when I have a guest, I I read their biography, a, you know, a, a summation, and then we get into the interview. For the first time ever, my guest, who is an author is going to read his own biography summarized all right so stay with us it's very interesting but for the first time ever the guest will read his own biography so ladies and gentlemen and everybody else charles smith welcome charles thank you tony thank you tony it's great being here i'm I'm really looking forward to this my pleasure my pleasure Yeah, definitely so let's hear your story charles All right. My story starts while being the best dressed little kid in town. I had everything I wanted in life. My father owned multiple nursing homes in the Worcester, Massachusetts area, which would have been my legacy. His nursing home in Millbury is where he met my mother who worked for him as a CNA. When I was about three years old, My life changed drastically as my father lost everything due to an unknown reason in one day, at least us kids never found out why. When I was five years old, my mother passed away. My father moved me and my sister around a lot, 
This included a Navajo reservation in Arizona where I was only, I was the only white boy on the reservation and was treated as such. I was actually forced to become a blood brother when some of the kids held me down, cut me, forced me to exchange blood with another. This was some sort of ritual to make me more like them, I guess. We moved to the U.S.-Mexico border in the small town of Van Horn, Texas after that, where again, I was a minority and treated as such. I was bullied and in fights every day with other kids. At this point, when I tell my story, some have asked me if I ended up prejudiced. And I replied with, nope. And I got a son that is part Spanish and part Hawaiian to prove it. Living proof. His, yep, his name is Joseph. God bless. Thank you. His, story, his, by the way, Charles, this is a great story. I like how, I really like how it's unfolding. I mean, you lived it, but it's unfolding for us. And it's really yeah. very interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, his mother is one of my trusted friends to this day. She's like a little, she's younger than me, so she's like a little sister now, which is not weird in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. It's cool. It's cool. When I was 11 years old, my father died. I held his hand as he died in the hospital, leaving me and my sister now as orphans without any family around in that part of the country anyway. My family up in Massachusetts heard about what happened and sent my uncle down to rescue us. We were flying back, so my sister and I had to leave just about everything behind, including my dog, Max, who I hear was taken in by a neighbor. My uncle could only describe our living conditions to my grandfather as unlivable. When he, when he was asked. My father did the best he could for us, but we still lived extremely poorly. When my father died, I was in deep shock, unable to speak for about six months. I ended up getting through this, but it was replaced by hatred and resentment. I ended up being a kid who hated the world for what happened to me and anyone who tried to be my family, thinking, why, why did my life end up like this? I felt like the world owed me for my loss. I went through most of my young adult life like this too, and became an addict, addicted to cocaine, alcohol, and smoking a lot of marijuana. I ended up going into the military because I screwed up my life so much. My aunt that I lived with told me to get out and get a job or don't come home, which now I see as a blessing. I came back and told her and my uncle, I joined the military and I'm leaving home. I went to basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. I was so skinny and weakened that it almost killed me but I began to see 
what I was capable of, what I was capable of as I was fighting for my life. By the way, Charles, when yes. I arrived at Fort Benning in 1983 for basic in infantry school, I was five foot one, 105 pounds, no oh, wow. hair on my face, and, and, and a lack of hair in other areas that I don't have to mention. I was <laughs> a very late bloom. I grew up in the Army. I grew up in the Army. So, man, wow. I, your story, your whole story has me riveted. I nearly cried almost twice already. Well, not almost, twice already. So, please keep going. Yes, thank you. After graduation, basic training in AIT, and being the only soldier without family at my graduation, I went to Fort Carson, Colorado, where I spent the next three years active duty being my CO's rally driver and finding a place I could excel. I also By the way, found... he, uh, hold, excuse me, Charles. Yep, he said yep. Bradley driver. For those who don't know, Bradley is a is a kind of armored vehicle. It's a it's a like a almost it's like a light tank. It's called an infantry fighting vehicle. Yes. Please continue. Continue. Uh, and finding a place to I could excel. I also found myself in a tank explosion and in Gitmo Bay, Cuba for six months. But I got to save some money, some of that for my autobiography, which <laughs> okay. is still in the works. <laughs> After the military, I worked odds, odd jobs, including security and sales, until my uncle who raised me and my grandfather died a month apart. When this happened, I ended up in a dark depression, darkest depression I've ever been in. I became a carver cutting into my skin to feel something other than the hellish pain I was feeling. I wanted to have them back now after resenting them all these years. I wanted to tell them, show them, I loved them and could change. I was so darkened by this depression that I tried taking my own life with a bottle of sleeping pills in the words, FU world carved into my arm. Wow. Some of my friends found me the next day and got me to the hospital. I remember hearing a doctor say he was amazed I was still alive. He wasn't the only one. I was really amazed myself. The hospital sent me to the VA in Brockton, Massachusetts, the mental health facility, where I spent a few days before they sent me away and I ended up homeless on the streets of Boston for a while before finding VA homeless shelters where I began to see things in a different light. I was finally diagnosed with PTSD which the doctors tell me I had since my mother died. My family and I never knew, and PTSD was unheard of in someone who wasn't in a war zone until a few years ago. Who would have thought a child had what was known as battle fatigue? I went undiagnosed for decades, but now that I knew, I can begin proper recovery. I have seen all the homeless heroes and veterans and began to realize I wasn't alone. Life kicks us all, kicks a lot of us in the ass. And it ends up 
to us if we lay down and die with the words "fu world carved in our arms or we get up, brush the dust off and keep moving forward. I ended up brushing the dust off. It took me a few years, but I got out of that situation and found peace in my life for the, for the first time since I was a child. I began to find coping skills that worked for me, such as martial arts and exercise. I also began to realize one of my best coping skills and qualities was helping others and sharing my story. I began working as a private investigator and security consultant for a time and as a peer support specialist, including addiction recovery and a case manager, oh, and an author of some great self-help books. Like I said, though, I have to save some of it from, from my autobiography. <laughs> Last paragraph. These days, life is not perfect. I only see my son on the weekends, but I talk to him daily. Not the life I wanted for either of us, especially given how close we are. But this is how life turned out for us. I still have tra tragedies like my cousin, whom I idolized, going missing for six months in 2016. This guy had all the girls, money, the biggest truck, and the title for being one of the toughest people in Worcester. The only thing that was stronger than he was was the opioid ep epidemic we currently face. His body was found in the woods with Lyme and drug paraphernalia around his body. And worst of all, they had to do dental recognition to identify him. When a hunter was walking his dog and found him, it was pure hell searching for him for six months. It engulfed me. My entire life at that time was looking for him and when he was found it was like someone stabbed me in the gut instead of letting this pull me back down though i used my coping skills to remain strong and help those whom this epidemic is killing i began helping to find people who are missing in my area especially those who are affected by this epidemic we're facing I now live for the memory of the, those I lost in my life, being the person they would want me to be. I tell my story to inspire others and show them no matter how bad life gets, if you keep pushing, fight hard and refuse to be put down, then you can rise above and have a good life no matter what cards you dealt. Man. I am deeply affected by that story, Charles. Um, Thank you, Tony. I feel like crying right now. I am crying a bit. That uh, that is a life of pain, and you know we we've both been in the rooms that one of the greatest. Uh, we hear all sorts of lines in the rooms, but one of them, and it's very profound and true, and it is that in life, pain is inevitable and misery is optional this is a guy right here ladies and gentlemen listening who knows it 
boy, is this guy known some pain. Thank you for for sharing all that, man. That's uh, thank you for thank you, Tony. Thank you for making making it through that, man. You know, I, I thank you for having me on here and letting me share the story to help others. Because without that, that's what gives my life meaning. Is helping other people. I really appreciate that, Charles. Man, that was. You know, usually I have uh, when I have a guest, I um, the biography is much much shorter than that. You know, because people want to get to the meat. But once I took a look at it, I said, I need to let you say your story, uh, which you just did, and um, I was affected throughout. I would say I nearly cried about six times. <laughs> uh, Me, same here. I'm just now getting to the point where I can tell my story without breaking down. You know, the first time I, I remember I was in um, peer support specialist training the first time I told my story. That was part of the training, telling your story. And I, I tried and tried and tried and I, I couldn't get through it. You know, um, your father died when you were 11. Mine, mine, mine died about six years ago. So I, had, I was much more fortunate than you, obviously. But watching your father die is just one of those things that you never forget. And you held your, your father's hand. And uh, I did too. But at 11, there's yep. a big difference between an 11-year-old kid and, and a 48-year-old man. But I tell you, the thing that... I think your cousin affected. It was your cousin who, who was gone for six months, and then they found. Yeah, that was that. I think that affected me the most. But, but definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, but um, the thing that I, I had the most identity identification with, though, even though I didn't have this, you, you when you when you were a kid and you and you left Texas to go come back to the Northeast. You left your dog behind, Max. Yeah. Man, let me tell you. When I, you know, I, we've both been homeless. I, I was homeless in Los Angeles. It was just me and my dog, Sid. Oh. And uh, and I, I had been up mountains, down valleys, across rivers and lakes with him. Uh, and um, in addiction, which was most of the time. And then finally I got, I, um, got clean and in recovery uh and i remember before i even before i left from, for, uh, new york for the west coast to move to arizona for california yeah. and uh and i was moved there with my girlfriend and there was sid i'm like what am i gonna do with sid uh you know i can't i can't take him i was like maybe i should take him into the into the woods and just kill him because he, he can't stand to be without me this is the addict mind right right and of course it was just some ridiculous crazy idea going through my head i had many <laughs> i'm sure and, yeah and then that dog was just my beyond my best friend you know and years later and he finally he lived to be 15 yeah i think it was and uh, when he died I, I had a wake for him which many people attended we had a funeral which we buried mm -hmm. him, you know in a coffin you know and and the idea that uh, that a, a small boy had to leave his dog behind after all this all these adults dying 
Yeah, he was like my my comfort. Yeah. He was, you know. Um Yeah, he he was my everything. Whenever I was out, out of out of school, I had him, you know, the whole time we we went everywhere together. Wow. Yeah. That's... The only thing was, sorry. No, no. The only thing was was that um he didn't like anyone except for me. <laughs> so that's why my uncle was like, uh, I don't think we're going to bring him home. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's a double-edged sword. Um, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, and, and me, when I, you know, you know, the kind of drunk I was, when I would get really messed up, occasionally I would sick my dog on people, which was really, you know, well, listen, when you're an addict, especially under the influence, you do a lot of stupid stuff. Right, right. <laughs> you know. Yep, uh, yep. You know. <laughs> but, uh, okay, on that light note, let's take let's take a, a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we're gonna come back with the incredible Charles Smith. I mean, I love this story. We're gonna get into into meat and into and stuff and into things to how people can benefit now that they've heard your story. And we're gonna get into all, all these these different facets of Charles' story and what he does. Uh, we'll come right back uh, with Charles Smith. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio, perhaps the most common method that coaches worldwide use to get undisputable results for their clients is NLP. Visit www.perficio.io, that's perficio.io, where you can make the changes you want and get the results you dream of. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're having some time here with Charles Smith, author Charles Smith. He just told us his biography, uh, and it is um, riveting, riveting for me. It a story of incredible pain and anguish, and and what I'm not, I'm not going to use the word validation, but re, you know, redemption. But he's here after he's been through hell. Uh, and man, what a story of personal development! Not just that he developed himself. You know, he's got 30 years clean and sober now, and I got 22 years, but he's written seven self-help books. So this guy is a guy who walks the walk about personal development. Charles, that is, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate that, Tony. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome, sir. Uh, let's talk about uh, the homelessness first. Okay. Yeah. How'd that happen? Well, I, um, I was in the VA. As I was saying in my in my story, and um, they sent me out of there to a place called Court Street Shelter in um, Boston. Boston. Yeah, and um, I went there, and they didn't have any room. I don't know why they didn't check before, but they didn't have any room. There was like three or four of us, and we all ended up on the streets. It wasn't like a long time, but on the streets, it was a, a few days or so, yeah. And I I would sleep where I could sleep. Like, I still had my bank card, so I slept in um, the ATM booths just to have the wind and weather off me. This, you know, it's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world where when you got nowhere to go. And, and behind that is because... Maybe maybe somebody because you're not loved, 
or, or people care enough to take you in and that's behind it. And it's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world. And, and if that doesn't make the clock tick slower, I don't know what does. That's, that's for sure, Tony. Definitely. Yeah. You know, time, time, time just rolls by when, when you're having fun, when it's a good time. But when, I mean, you know, this is a cliche, everyone knows it. Uh, but homelessness is like, you, you got nowhere to go. Where are you going to go? Everywhere you go is nowhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. How long? I mean, how long? And you said it wasn't that long, fortunately. But well, that, on on the streets, it wasn't that long. But in um, veteran shelters, was probably a good five years. Five years. Yeah. Yeah. So technically, that that was homeless yeah. too, because I really didn't have anywhere to go except for you know, the shelters and I slept in not gonna name names of places, but I slept in some places that the state would pay them to house less desirable people disguised as veterans. <laughs> so you didn't know who you was who you were sharing a wow. room with. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, definitely. And, and how would you describe uh, your departure from homelessness into a person who has a home? How did how did you manifest that? Um, when my grandmother my grandmother passed away a few years after my grandfather, and um, we were left an inheritance. That's great. And yeah, and it was enough for me to start my life again. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I mean, so much of your life was the pain of having your family die. Uh, and, uh, you know, fa family is critically important. Oftentimes we have issues with our parent, with our family. And, you know, you know, I'm not going to get on any ridiculous high horse about, you know, mending those fences. You know, that's all subjective. But right. the old saying is blood is thicker than water. There's a lot to be said about that. You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to be said about that. For you know? sure, yeah, yeah, Intr yeah, yeah. Intrinsically, no one's going to care for you more than your family because your blood. Yeah. So if you can, if you're having, so I, I guess the angle I'm coming to is, and generally speak, you know, in, a, in an inference or a conclusion is that mm -hmm. it, it, for those listening, if you can somehow reconcile with any problems that you have with your family, do go for it. Go for it because you know they will by default be there for you by by blood. Now you may say, Oh no, my parents are the biggest jerk offs, my brother, my sister. Okay, okay, maybe. All right. But that doesn't negate what I said that blood is the blood and 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 if not for his for Charles's blood, who knows how long it would have, it would have taken him for him to you know regain having a home? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So God Go smile, on. God smile on him, you know. And I say that in the most non-religious way possible. Yeah, and uh, and I'm very glad about it. So, and I talk about family. I resented. I pushed back every time my uncle or my grandfather or you know my grandmother tried getting close to me 
you know, p- part of that, I realize now part of that was I'm going to get close to them and they're going to die too. Mm, undoubtedly. You know, but um, yeah, a, a lot of it was, you're not, you're not my dad. You're not my, you know, and my, my uncle talk about blood. My uncle is not blood. And he was the first one. Cause I, I was my grandparents were my legal guardians, but my aunt and my uncle were my, uh, I, I lived with them because my grandparents didn't have room in their house. So my, my aunt went over to, uh, my uncle was like, this is what happened. They're coming home. Okay. They, they can have the, house, the rooms upstairs without a second thought. You know, and he's, he wasn't blood. You know, technically, he was, but he was one of the greatest men to ever live. I told you that much. You know, um, you talked about your father's death and how you came to resent it, and that became a rage. And and you know, you would you say that was the genesis of your addiction? I would. Yeah. 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 I, I would say the same thing, but my father, you know, and my father didn't even die. He just left home. But to a child, it was just nothing but abandonment. And, and, and of course, what, what does a child think? Well, I'm not good enough to stay. Mm. I'm inadequate or I'm worthless. And that that was it was a great pain. And that pain became a rage. Uh, and that's what happened with me. And I don't blame him, my father at all. Everybody does the best they can with what they have. I don't blame him whatsoever. And I did. I, I did mm. when I back then, and I forgave him long ago. Um, yeah. But uh, but then where, what did it leave me? I was left with this rage and, and this belief, this in, just ingrained belief that I wasn't good enough. Uh, so what, what does a person like that do? Go nuts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. Right. That's what I did. I went nuts. Yeah. Uh, and same uh, one, same one, a parent, a parent dies. You think that they abandon you and you know, a different way, but yeah, absolutely. But it's even, you know, they're just, your father died. He's so, he's just not there anymore. That you know, I was just I was just at a memorial. I spoke at it for a, a person who I knew in NA, a very good friend of mine. It was like my last friend in NA. I joked. Oh, yep. <laughs> I, I joked about it. I'm not an active member of the rooms anymore. I wouldn't talk about it if I was. So I don't have to abide by that 12th tradition anymore. Uh, but yep. uh, <laughs> so, so um, which I certainly respected while I was active. That's for sure. Oh but, yeah. You know, uh, we all have these these faiths unless we unless we don't which is fine uh about you know an afterlife uh and uh and i have them certainly but you know the one thing that we absolutely know for sure is this physical life you know but i'm banging this desk and i feel i, I think right with my mind my neurology right and i feel feel my heart my gut and wherever else in my body uh, but those are we know these things but we know that we were born because that's how we come to exist right the parents slap the name on us uh and we know that so we know that's real and we know that death is also real because when someone dies you can't find them anymore 
where are they? Oh, I believe them in my heart. Okay, that's a great thing to say. And I'm not saying you don't believe it. As I said, it was faith. But we know right. that they're gone. You can say that they're still with me. And I'm not, con I'm not putting that down in any way. But we know that they're gone because you can't find them. Where are they? They're gone. No, everywhere you look, you can't find them. Not the physical self, at least. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about physical reality. Right. And, and of course, now, and between those two events, and every one of us is going to die, there's a thing that we call life, <laughs> which is where we are right now. <laughs> yep, right? Yep. And, but, though, but when that physical end, the death, which is, and, and I don't say it with any moroseness, I don't see none. Uh, I, I actually, you know, I used to be in a, you know, we're going to, you know, you've been through suicidal ideation. So have I, you know, yeah. I had a, I had a gun to my head, that muzzle resting on my temple, you know, um, mm. and oh. uh, I, I, I have, I, 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 I used to tell the story a lot when I was in the rooms of NA and AA, but I haven't told yeah. it in a long time, but I remember, you know, I was going such to such psychic pain emotional pain i was standing in front of a full-length mirror charles and i had that gun to my head and i was crying i was naked you keep that image out of your mind just just <laughs> from the shoulders up all right but thank god that's all i can see <laughs> <laughs> right, right so i had that gun to my head and i was crying and i said god is there anything else is there anything more before i pull this fucking trigger mm. And I'm not saying I heard, I heard any voices. I didn't, but I heard there was some sort of idea to put it down, and I did. I put it down, and I laid in my bed for three days, clicking not my heels together. I kept my heels together, clicking my toes together for three days. Phone ringing off the hook. Finally, my mother came over, and she said, "What's going on? Why don't you get the phone? Everybody's looking for you." And I said those magic words I had never uttered in my life before, and that is, "Ma, I need help." And that's that's what begun my journey. And he took years, you know, years more before I would finally get sobriety right. Yep, and, yep. and, and so, why don't you you want to talk a little bit about your your issues with su your experience with, su with suicide ideation or attempts? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, that one time was my only attempt. Um, I was, like I said, I was just in such a dark place. I was ready to go. Yeah. I mean, when my uncle was sick, I was ready to go. I actually talked to the higher power, whoever it is. And I said, I've got nothing. This guy's got everything. Take me. He had cancer. I'm like, give me his cancer. And let me die and let him live. You know, and obviously that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but um, now, uh, yeah, when, when, when I was that, that dark, it was the fact that I resented them for all my life. And now I couldn't tell them how I felt about them, my grandfather, him, you know. And so I, I was ready to go. I took that bottle of pills, just like pulling that trigger. You know, I, I took that bottle of pills and I was kind of surprised that I did that, that I woke up in the, in the hospital. Yeah. You, you know, you, you, yeah. you thought it was the final checkout. Yeah. Yeah. But one thing I always tell people about suicide is 
no matter how bad things get, think about it. That that was like the year two thousand or so, give or take. And I didn't have my kid. I didn't have my books. I wasn't on podcasts like this. All of that came after. You know, if I did succeed in that, my kid wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be an author. I wouldn't be working for one of the most amazing companies in the world, Aware Recovery Care. You know, I, I wouldn't. So many, the list goes on and on. So many things that I, I have now that I almost didn't have. You know, I, I've, you know, we're both veterans and, and uh, I've actually written, I'm going to produce a movie. I have the whole movie. I don't have the script written, but the entire movie is written in the outline. Nice. And, and it's about, it's actually about the Vietnam War. And, uh, we, you know, we're, you know, you and I obviously came after that. But, the, right. and it's really, it's what it's about is that, well, it's, it's a movie about love and sacrifice. But what it really is about is the awful tragedy that when soldiers or anyone, you know, especially people who are young, uh, and of course the civilians always suffer the most uh, in terms of, generally speaking, obviously a, sold, a soldier's uh, situation is incredibly awful, but uh, <clears throat> the civilians are helpless. At least a, at least a soldier can shoot back. Uh, yeah. Know, but um, but when, when they die young, you know, and, and it's just the end for them. It's just the end. And everybody, you know, we live our lives and whether it be rough and you have good or bad fortune, you, you, while you're still kicking, you know, all things are going on and you're manifesting more things. But when you get killed in a war, whether you're a soldier or a civilian or someone contemplating suicide, like he acts like Charles actually, you know, swallowed a bottle of pills. I had a gun to my head. Uh, and it's you know we you know for for us for people who've been to sue or these suicide ideations or attempts we you know it's because life's so painful that we think this is a good choice um and uh and really it's just it's a terrible choice obviously but it's the best choice that we thought that we had at the time and but we don't realize that when you when you're when you die it's the end for you, but there is just so much more that could and should, to use that that word, come after. Right. And, and you know, we talked. You talked about wanting your friend's cancer. When my sister died, and that was my bottom. My sister was killed by a drunk driver. My favorite person. Well, I had to do nothing. All I, all I had to do was hear the news. I wanted yeah. to. It was in such pain. I wanted to switch with her. I said to myself, I wish I could switch with her, that she'd be dead. Uh, that, you know, that, that may, I'm gonna, I'll kill myself. I, this was just a fleeting notion. But I was in such pain that I was like, you know, I'm going to go join her. Uh, because when you have such pain, you have thoughts like that. Yep. But, but the great thing is that healing happens, right? And then you, you you learn to deal with the pain of life because life life is a tragic affair. I mean, Charles is a, is a testifier to it, and so am I. Life is a tragic affair, and it also has joy. There's oh, joy yeah. too. Don't forget the joy part because when you forget the joy part, you start to look at the negative shit, and you think about that too much, and you start thinking about shit like suicide. 
You got to look at more of the joy stuff, the positive side. That's the trick. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I agree with that. All right, let, let, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsor, and we'll come right back with this. Really, this is an extraordinary conversation. I, I really, I, I've you know, I've touched on some of this stuff before in previous interviews, and this is like my fifty-fifth one for the podcast. I've never had a conversation like this in this podcast. It's really wonderful and uh, very, very deep stuff here. And I thank you very much, Charles. We'll, we'll You're come welcome. Right, we'll come right back. Thank with you, Charles. Tony. You're welcome. We'll come yep. right back with Charles Smith. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Proficio. The pandemic has painfully shown how we must have money put away, not just for a rainy day, but for a whole bunch of them. You must accrue wealth to really be okay. Visit www.proficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can truly learn financial principles like never before so that you can have the future you really want and need. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're having an extraordinary conversation with author Charles Smith, written seven self-help books, telling us his incredible story of his biography. And um, let's, you know, we've already touched on addiction and recovery a bit, but let's go a little bit down that road a little bit more. Um uh -huh. You know, I remember I got, I finally got sobered up in my, my clean date is November 18, 2000. By the way, I went in the, when I was in the rooms, you know, people like to announce their clean date. I never did that. I go, I had some really good insights in early recovery. I only just said what my last day was. I don't want to bother with any math counting time, hoping to add another day every day. All I remember was my clean date, which is November 18, 2000. Uh, and yep. um, <laughs> and about preceding that, I remember I used to do a lot of writing, a lot of introspection, and which is a great thing to do, and some poetry. And I remember that I had written a poem one time, and I remember that um, one of the lines was that my cross to bear in life was addiction, uh, and and truly that was my cross to bear. You know, the, and, it was, and addiction is a slavery, and it is this huge weight. And you just, there's no way that you can control yourself because, you know, I, you know, I remember my brother at the, so after my early recovery, I, I, in some conversation with him, I asked him, what do you think is more powerful, love or addiction? Of course, he said love. I said, John, addiction is more powerful because all these people, all these addicts have been loved. People offer them love and they, the addicts still chose addiction. That's how powerful addiction is, 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 is a person doesn't have control. They just don't have control anymore. And that was my cross to bear. So anyway, like I mentioned, my sister was killed. That was my bottom. After, you know, I, I tried to get clean and sober for eight years. I quit, quit drugs about 600 times and, and, I, and I got back in the rooms and then I was in the right place at the right time when my sister was killed. And, and I finally stopped all the commentary and I accepted the program. I surrendered. And that was it. How did you finally, uh, Clean, clean up your act. You, now he's Charles is thirty years clean and sober. I'm twenty two, so we we've got a lot of experience here. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that about um, AA. I used to, I I go into AA meetings um, occasionally. Mm. Now I I bring clients in when they want to go to AA meetings. 
But I, I always say I'm Charles Smith. I'm in long-term recovery, or I'm Charles Smith. I'm a human being. <laughs> I like that. Instead of I'm an addict, or That's I'm great. I, I can't stand labels. <laughs> right, and also as you know, as a coach, even though I don't work one-on-one anymore because now I'm the head of a technological coaching company. But nonetheless, hmm. uh, you know, us people, I'm a practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. I'm a, per, I'm a personal development coach. You got to be careful with your language, people. What you say you are is, is is your instructions to yourself. So if you include, if you say you're an addict, you're you're already keeping yourself on thin ice. You know, you want. I suggest, I advise you to modify that, qualify by always. If you're going to use that addict identification, always say recovering addict. Okay, because an addict uses drugs control uncontrollably. You don't want to be that. You want to be yeah. someone who's recovering, if you you know, or even better, yep. grateful recovering addict, because you got to right. be grateful language. So back to you, Charles. Thank you. Um, yeah, but back in May of '93, I joined basic tra- uh, basic training, and that was my detox. And yeah, and so it was the, so the army kind of forced you to straighten up your act. Yeah, yeah. I I went in knowing that I'm going to go in and I'm not going to have a choice. You know, I'm just going to take the choice out of it. Some people tell me when they're they're brand new to recovery, they're like, um, wow, that must have been hell. I'm like, it was, but look at you. You have the choice to go down and get a beer out out of a liquor store or a supermarket. I took that choice out of it when I, so I think we, we both have our hard times, you know, it's hard on both of us, both of our ends. And, but yeah, I, I was so skinny and so withdrawn that it literally almost killed me. I mean, you can attest to how hard basic training is anyway, without dealing with you know, just coming off of drugs and alcohol. Yeah, man. Wow. It must have been sunk a bitch. Yeah. I had a drill sergeant, drill sergeant Anderson. He was a Cajun guy. And, <laughs> perfect, yeah. perfect in my mind. That, that, that <laughs> Asian accent. That's awesome. <laughs> but he was so tough on me. And I think he knew what I was going through. And he, he was even tougher because of that. I think he thought I'm ex- I'm either gonna kill this kid or I'm gonna make him into a, a soldier. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was it was a really difficult time, and even now, I mean, I'm I'm right there in in addiction recovery every day because I'm in addiction recovery, but also I work there. How, how did you start that as your profession? Well, I um I was helping people with. Uh, PTSD and mental health because I learned so much about PTSD when yeah, okay. I, right. yeah. So let's, let's back up more, even more. How did you start? Okay. Let's get into the PTSD. Okay. You got diagnosed uh, in the, a long time ago before they realized there was, there's PTSD besides combat veterans. Right. Uh, right. How old were you then? I was about 30. 30, so, but you yeah, you probably yeah. had it since you were six. Yes. Um, yeah. And um, and you, you had your typical PTSD uh, symptoms, anxiety, uh, panic. I, 
Yep, yep. Night terrors, all that crap. Night terrors, right. Flashbacks, right. everything. Awesome. Yep, yep. So, how, and you started working. How did you get into working with, uh, in, in, that, in that, that field of psychology or, or, or help? Well, I, um, I've, I wanted to help people, but I wasn't sure how I wanted to help people. And I, um, I began a nonprofit called Karma Consultants Inc. Karma with a K? Yes, yep. And what that was, was it was a nonprofit that was supposed to um, help veterans and their families because at that time we had Iraq, we had Afghanistan, Desert Storm, everything, you know, and a lot of soldiers were coming back with PTSD. And they were, um, there was a lot of domestic violence going on, right? Because of the uh, the PTSD, you know, that, I mean, one thing that comes with it is anger and rage and all that. And um, so my, my thing was, I worked, I worked as a private investigator. That, by the way, that was my first job that I got out of the army. I I, I got out Hell of the army in, in, <laughs> in 1987. I did that here in New York. I, it was not for me. I didn't like following people because their spouse thought they yeah. were on them. I was like, I did it for like a month or two, and I was like, nah, I'm done with that. But go on, please. You yeah. said, you worked as a PI. Yeah, I worked as a PI and a security consultant. And um, what I wanted to do was with Karma was protect the um, the family, first and foremost. Take the veteran out of the family, but figure out what's going on with the veteran. Mm. You know, get him the help that he, him or her, the help that they needed. And then once that's all set and, you know, then reunite the family. You know, that was my thing, but, um, I had a hard time getting funding for that because uh, a lot of places were like, that's potentially dangerous. We don't want to fund that. You know, so I turned into um, running programs like PTSD program for veterans at a place called Veterans Inc. And a um, place called uh, Jeremiah's Inn in Worcester and some other places around here. So there, there were businesses or agencies that you said, okay, you brought to them a program, or you said you they had a program that had a fit for you. They, 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 they were, they were. I, I developed my own programs. Wow, fantastic! Yeah, but they were um, places that housed veterans or um, people just getting out of jail, you know, people That's recovering cool. from addiction. And you brought oh. you, so they allowed you to run your program there. Yes. Yep. Yep. Man, you must, you must, man, you gotta be a persuasive guy. Oh so, yeah. That's great. Yeah, you do definitely. Yep. Yep. Great. A lot of them are still friends to this day, and that was like 15, 20 years ago. <laughs> that's great. So what are some of the, what are some of the modalities or approaches you use in, in working with these PTSD sufferers? Um, I for the first thing that I did was explaining what PTSD was, you know, because that's what helped me out the most was explaining what it was. Um, after that, I uh, started 
talking to them about self-help, about um, what you can do if um, you have a trigger or something like that. What uh, if you have a flashback or what have you, grounding techniques, coping skills, all that. Yeah. And um, the fascinating thing about my first three books. What, 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 were the, what are the titles of the first three books? Um, one is Operation Enlighten, which is a self-protection book. Operation what? Enlighten. Oh, Enlighten. Operation yes, Enlighten. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. And then is Operation Tip. Operation Tip, T-I-P. Yep, which is T-I-P-P. Oh, T-I-P-P. Which is, yes, which is the uh, Trauma-Informed Program Plus. Trauma-Informed Program Plus. And is that a yes. way uh, people should remember that acronym as a, as a way to deal? Yes. Okay. Yep, yep. And um, the second one was up, or the third one was Operation Happy Mind. Which Operation is a Happy Mind. Yeah, positive thinking book. Yep. And the fascinating thing about those is um, they were my first programs that I ran. When, when did they come out? They, they came out probably 10 to 15 okay. years ago, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Because I, uh, I ran the programs for a few years. I wasn't getting really the funding that I needed, especially yeah. with my kid being born. Mm-hmm. So I decided that I was going to make those programs into books. I put a lot more information into all the programs developed them as books and then put them on uh, um, Amazon. Yeah. And it was a good decision. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, oh, sorry about that. I thought that was low. Uh, that, that's great. So, um, all right. Um, you told me the, uh, the first three books, which are PTSD books. All three of those are PTSD books. Well, one one is a PTSD book, Operation right. Tip. Operation Tip is it? Yeah, book. yeah. The, other, the, the, last, the last one was about PMA. Right? About um, po- positive thinking and um, cognitive therapy and that sort of thing. Oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, and and yeah. what was the first one, Operation? Um... Enlighten. That was uh, self-protection. So... Yeah, like um, situational awareness, uh... Uh, active shooter. What do you do with an, a mass shooter event? Stuff like that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. We're going to take our final break from, uh, to hear from our sponsor. We're going to come back with the last segment. And Charles will talk about his four other self-help and personal development books. And we'll wrap it up. Great stuff, Charles. It's my pleasure having you here. Thank you, Tony. Same here. My pleasure. This episode of Self-Help Coaching is brought to you by Perficio. What if you could get the results of being coached without a human coach? What if a computer could coach you? Visit www.perficio.io. That's P-E-R-F-I-C-I-O dot I-O, where you can get coached without scrutiny, judgment, or pressure. You're listening to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Tony Petroza. We're having a fantastic conversation with author Charles Smith. I'm almost sorry that it's the last segment, but you know, all good things come to an end. But I, I, like I said at the outset, I think this is the beginning of a great friendship, a great good relationship. We got so much in common. So Charles has told us about his first three books, 
Operation Enlightenment, Operation Tip, and the third one, which was um, Happy Mind. Happy Mind. Operation Happy Mind. Operation Happy Mind. I like this. He comes from a military uh, mindset, which is great. I love that. You know, uh, I, I, (laughs) I, you know, my company, Auxilium LLC, is a virtual coaching company, even though my partner, who's a tech director, says it's a, it's a tech company. Well, he should call it that. He's a technical director. And we've created an app, which is going to revolutionize self-help right on your phone. It's going to make self-help finally work. Nice. Uh, but, but, you know, we're struggling. We're, we're undercapitalized. It's going to create a success revolution. It's going to be awesome. We'll talk more about that later. But anyway, uh you know, so, you know, we're just struggling to get the app launched. I've had four years of pre-development, four years of development since the LLC was formed, and we're going to be launching imminently. That all said, once we start staffing out, the company starts growing. I have empl- more employees, you know, uh, and we start growing it. It's I, And I'm going to be the next Apple. I'm going to be the next Steve Jobs, Brooklyn Italian version. You'll see. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> okay. But I, 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 and I have a, you know, I'm very into... I'm very influenced by the military. And, and my job when I become the CEO won't be to run the company. I'll have people much smarter than me, much more competent and experienced and knowledgeable than me running the company. My job will be as the chief of culture, the chief uh, of the chief of, of the, the mindset. Uh, but I'm very into organizations and hierarchies and I'm very influenced by the military. So one of the things that we're going to do is There'll be a monthly dress up, and that and and half the time that monthly dress up will be military uniforms. <laughs> there you go. There's we have a they'll be <laughs> ranked just like in the army. We're not paramilitary. We're just a company that's influenced by the military because there's a number of benefits to that. I have that mindset, even though I've been out of the army since 1987. I'm very influenced by and and this I I love the approach of it. It's a very pragmatic approach. You know, being being having a having a military mind, you know, being pragmatic, being really uh, in a coming coming approaching something in a systematic way. Uh, to me, that really not just appeals to me. To me, is that's the best way to go about it. In most cases, uh, and it seems that from the, the titles of those three books you had, you had a similar a similar uh, place that you were you came from as an author at least. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. Yep. Let's get into the the uh, the final four books the, the, that that have come after those. Uh, the addiction recovery book. What's the title? Um, Operation Battle of a Lifetime. Ah, oh, you know I had I I had and we're gonna have it. Uh, we're gonna get into addiction recovery in my with my app Proficio, and I, I mean and years ago in. 15 years ago, long ago, I, you know, I, I sponsored many people. And I always got the same questions over and over from, from sponsees. So finally I started writing down all these things instead of repeating them. I would just, you know, send them an email and, uh, and then it just grew and grew. So I gave it a title at one point and I intended to write a book about it, but I never did. But the title was Fortress of Recovery. There you <laughs> and, go. Right. Like so, that. And yeah, <laughs> that's, you know, make a fortress of recovery so that the enemy addiction can't get in. The matter how many, how strong that army is. And your title again was what? Battle of a Lifetime. Battle of a Lifetime. It is a battle. Yeah, yeah. It is a battle. And that's it. Yeah. Battle. I mean, you got to have a good fortress to withstand it. Uh, yeah. battle of life. great and what and like what were your some of your approaches or you know where'd you come from um i talk about uh first of all i have like how many um i think eight different real life recovery stories 
eight different guys in there. Yeah, eight, eight, different, eight different people that I know personally shared their recovery stories, right. including my own. Yeah. But um, what what I did with this was, you know, the eight dimensions of wellness. The eight dimension of wellness. The eight dimensions of wellness. Like no, I don't. Um, like uh, educational wellness, um, spiritual wellness. Okay. I call it soul wellness. Right. Um, there's there's eight different dimensions of it. Okay. And what I did was I wrote a bunch of different um, coping skills that would pertain to each of the dimensions of wellness. Then I also put in like what what addiction is, right. and you know, um, I was a couple of years ago. Um, I had to write a paper for college about addiction recovery. I was going to school for human uh, services, and I put that that story in there too. That's great. Yeah, eight, yeah. The, so eight dimensions of wellness. I like the sound of yeah. it. Great. Yeah, the eight dimensions of wellness: um, emotional wellness, spiritual wellness. Great. Well, you know, as as a, a coach, some you know, there's different. One of the things that I offer as a coach was you know balancing, uh, having balance, life balance, and you there's usually like depending on which model you use, like seven to 10 categories of a person's life, spirituality, career, exactly. physical. I got to tell you, I never had a single client that ever came to me and said, Tony, I want to have life balance. Not a single one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it was a nice, nice thing to learn. Never did anything with it in terms of working with clients. But there's, there's a lot to be said about having different parts about rounding yourself out about seeing to things that you might have uh, an area that you might have weakness in, and, it's, and it comes yeah. to the area of addiction i just shared this uh, i just spoke on the seven step recently at a meeting uh on a virtual uh -huh. meeting, just this week actually um oh last week rather and um and i thought i spoke in the seven step and i talked to i i would talk to sponsors are like listen if you know if you're going to go out in a boat and your boat has like 10 leaks you don't want to fix nine leaks and go out there all right, you're still going to sink. Even though you did all that work, if you didn't fix all 10 leaks, you're sinking. All right, even if maybe one leak got, well, you know, it was not, you didn't fix it good and, and, it, spring, and, it, and it starts leaking again, that, that could happen, absolutely. But you didn't pretend that you only had nine leaks to fix when you had 10 and your sinking was certain. Okay, there's a difference between the two. So the, when you, you want to address areas of weakness, you know, you want that's those that's a necessity. Exactly. It's yeah. Not a yep. Prerogative. That's a necessity. Yep. Yep. And because a lot of people aren't um, spiritual, I mean, you know, I I wasn't for the longest time. Right. Um, I talk about soul wellness because even if you, you know, you you can look good on the outside. Like one of one of the main things about my books is healing from within. You know, not just like a soldier can can get a prosthetic arm, and the right. VA can send them on their way. They're still gonna, you know, have a horrible life, right. unless they're taught how to how to adapt to the new life that they have. Right. You know, and that that's what my books are all about. If I could sum them up in one thing. Healing from within, 
know, and a lot of us, we do bad things, uh, you know, when, when we were in recovery or when we were down and out, this or that, you know, um, we all do bad things. And that, to me, that darkens the soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, you know, yeah. You know, it was, I, I never, I was, I was raised Catholic. Even wanted to be a Catholic priest. I went to, you know, Catholic school, uh, and then yeah. I, I became atheist over time. But I'll tell you, it was, I don't think there's any coincidence. The more screwed up shit I did, the more atheistic I became because I didn't want to have to have any sort of judgment. I knew the shit I was doing was messed up. Yeah. And that exactly. that, that yeah. made the turnaround. That's what happened with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because of that, I was deprived of it, self-deprived of 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 this spirituality, of this, you know, of this friend of God, uh, you know, having this this car this uh being connected with God and I suffered greatly for it. And I say that in the most non-religious way possible. Yeah, I, I totally understand it. And I hope everybody else does. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, someone in the rooms long ago said, said to me, he said, Tony, those who understand do, and those who don't never will. Now, that was a good thing to hear exactly. sometimes, but a person can gain understanding if they want to. Uh, you know, Charles, yeah, Charles, we're out of time. I know you got three more books. Guess what? Three more books. I'm gonna have you. Uh, I'm gonna have you back on a second podcast if you want, because this this okay. you and I have such a great rapport, and this gets we got so much to talk about. I don't want I don't want to give it the do you a disservice by just talking about them too briefly. We're gonna have another interview, me and you, unless as long as you're willing, my friend. Oh, definitely. So let's go. <laughs> let's just let's just great. Thank you. Uh, so let's just close up this interview. Uh, it, right. it has been remarkable. It's been my pleasure. It's been really an extraordinary adventure you've taken the listener and me on. Uh, do you have any final remarks for the audience? Yeah, don't. Um, I know a lot of things are going on right now. You know, mental health in a country is at an all-time high. You know, it's 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 like a pandemic in itself, epidemic in itself. Um, don't give up hope. You know, no matter how bad things get, you can always rise above. You know, and I'm, we're both living proof, Tony. You know, no matter how bad things get, you can always rise above. That's it. And we, we talked about this and this, that's a great summation. Uh, yep. You know, and with that hope, that hope, anything could follow. But without that hope, you, you, you're sinking. You're done. Yeah, it's like it's that. Done. Great. Stuff. Like that ninth hole. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's the hole that you didn't plug. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. your website is lifelongexperience.net, correct? Absolutely. Yep. So those of you listening or even watching, with the 1% that may be watching, 99% of the audience <laughs> listens, which is great. Uh, okay. I suggest you go to Charles' website, lifelongexperience.net. You can learn more about him. Maybe see his books over there, or, or you want to give any uh, rec, you know, places that you want people to go. Maybe social media, Charles, or something. Yep, um, Arthur Charles Smith on uh, Facebook. Um, lifelong, lifelong experience on Instagram. Uh, I think. I think. I think yeah, lifelong experiences on Instagram, Facebook. And in LinkedIn, you're Charles Dash Smith with a bunch of numbers after 
Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and on twi Twitter, it's uh, it's at author underscore Charles. Yes. Yeah, I know yeah. your social media better than you do, Charles. <laughs> okay. Very good. So uh, it's all automatic on my computer, so I never looked yeah. at it. <laughs> and, and, of course, yeah. and of course, they can find your books on Amazon. Yes. Yep. Right. So yep. look look up Charles Smith on Amazon or go to his website, his website lifelongexperience.net. Charles, it's been wonderful meeting you. Thank you so much for sharing everything that you have and everything you've done and been through and, and being the person that you are. You're, we are kinsmen. I really appreciate yes. it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Much. Thank you, Tony. I, and, I and really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. <laughs> and we're going to do this again uh, because I already said it. I'm a man of my word. So, uh, I, and I remember everyone listening or watching, we're all responsible for ourselves and we could all use a little help. And with that, this is Tony out. Charles, thank you so much. We'll see you thank next you. time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Help Coaching Podcast, where insights, attitudes, and methods for success get illuminated. Learn what leaders and change workers have done and are doing now to create magnificent futures. Remember to visit our website at self-helpcoaching.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Self-Help Coaching Podcast.